glad you're here. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love by serving others. I sent an email update about this this week, but I just wanted to make sure to say it to you in person. If you didn't get the email update, it's because one of two things. One, we don't have your email, and you can give us that on a prayer card. Or two, it's sitting in your spam folder. We are not spam, though we have been accused of being such by some email providers. So in August, we started a rooted campaign to uh, raise an ambitious $3 million dollars to buy um, land on South Main Street and to do a bulk of the architectural work for a building. We have been clear throughout this process, a building is not the holy grail for a church. A building is a tool for long-term vibrant ministry. A building is a tool for long-term vibrant ministry rooted in this community that we love. So the exciting news uh, to share, and we passed it a little while ago, but I wanted to uh, wait till the gym was cold to share it with you. Uh, as of uh, through the end of November, we have received commitments to rooted uh, almost a little bit short of $3.1 million. So that is, is amazing, it's generous, it's humble, uh, humbling. Um, and, and so uh, I just want to say thank you primarily to God for moving in so many people's hearts. And uh, for you for responding in the way that you've done. And so now we've given ourselves a, a three-year window in which to commit, complete those commitments. And as you're able to do that in a regular fashion, and some of us even a bit aggressively, we can continue to move forward in this exciting move in the life of the church. So we're just uh, very humbled by that. At 8.15, someone asked, am I supposed to be telling you, how do I tell you what's my general offering and what's my rooted offering? And, and here, this is real simple. Just do something to make it clear what the rooted part is. If we don't see it, it's, we're going to assume it's general. Does that make sense? And, but so just write rooted in the line or, or, or take out a billboard or something that'll make it clear as best, as best we know how. So throughout this, and this is what's really humbling to me, rooted is over and above our regular giving to the church. And so that makes that 3.1 number even more uh, humbling to me. Uh, throughout the Rooted campaign, though, we still have what I call a ministry and mission budget. You could call it a general budget, an annual budget, but the budget out of which we still do the ministry of the church, right? Pay the staff, rent the school, um, have ministry budgets, give to missions, all that kind of thing. So we'll continue to do that, and the month of December uh, is the month where we generally get 20% of the giving towards that uh, annual budget. So I say all this to say, not only am I saying thank you uh, for the generosity we've seen and rooted, but an encouragement that this is like, this is the month where we see a lot of our giving to the general budget, and I have no doubt it'll be another generous uh, month, but I like to take a week every December just to encourage the congregation <laughs> to, uh, to let us have another strong December and finish the year in a really healthy financial place yet again. If you're newer to the church or if you've never gotten to jump into this part of the ministry of the church, I would just encourage you. We're in a stretching time, so we don't have much room on the sidelines for anybody. 
We don't have big sidelines around here anyway. We need people in the game. Uh, but if you haven't found your way to kind of get jump, to jump in, this is the point where we need you. We would really need you to jump in and participate in that way. So I'm going to pray about all this, and then we're going to do the sermon for today. But let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your provision to our church. We thank you for your provision in each of our lives. Thank you for the land you've provided for us. Thank you for moving generosity uh, in the hearts of so many people. And Lord, thank you that year after year we watch you provide for the needs of our church family so that we can do ministry in the way that we do. Lord, we trust we'll see it again this year. And so we say thank you in advance, and we pray for uh, those of us sitting here that you'll move in our minds, our hearts, give us the, the margin we need to continue to be generous to your work in the world. Lord, we do pray for those in our church who are unemployed or struggling in their employment. We pray that you would provide for them, that they would not receive any of these kind of messages as guilt or shame, but that they would see you meet their every need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today we want to continue our series of sermons called, What Child Is This? We are looking at uh, Jesus, believe it or not. What child is this? As I look at my own kids, as I look at the kids in our church family, we can't help but wonder, who are they going to become? It makes me thankful for those of you who pour into our, am I cutting out, pour into our kids, pour into our youth and our church to continue to help shape them into who God has made them to be. But in the case of Jesus, we don't have to wonder what child is this. We know who Jesus is. We know what He came to do. So what we're doing in this series is we're studying the seven I am statements of Jesus. In the book of the Bible called John, Jesus makes seven statements about His identity. Last week, Dr. Bud got us started off with a home run of a sermon called, I am the resurrection and the life. Today, I want to look at two of the I am statements that Jesus makes back to back. I want to look at I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. We're going to let Jesus answer the question, what child is this, by looking at what he said about himself. Does it offend you that the Bible sometimes refers to people as sheep? That offends some people. And the reason is, sheep are dumb. <laughs> I have good news. A friend of mine took a sabbatical. He lived with sheep and shepherds in the Middle East, and he told me this exciting fact. It turns out sheep are not dumb. Sheep are reasonably intelligent, affectionate animals, much how we think of dogs in our culture. They know who they belong to, and they're happy and affectionate around that person. So the Bible is not saying you're dumb. Now, you may be dumb. <laughs> I may be dumb, but the Bible's not saying that, at least not in this instance. What the Bible is saying is that like sheep, we are herd animals. We like to blend in. We want to figure out what everybody else is doing, so we know what to do. We want to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, when we're little, we have to be asked, if all your friends did this crazy thing, would you do it too? Sheep ask their children the exact same question. Isaiah 53, 6 says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Another translation says we've left God's path to follow our own. 
The point being that as humans, like sheep, we prefer to do what the majority is doing, and the majority does not want to walk on God's path, and so we leave God's path to follow our own way. Our lives are held hostage by the changing tastes of the majority until we have a shepherd, until we have someone who makes us feel secure, who knows us, and we know them in return. They will protect us sometimes from ourselves, and guide us into what is good instead of just leaving us to wander around to wherever the herd wants to go this week. The Bible keeps saying we are sheep in need of a shepherd. That's reiterated in a beloved passage. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." It's a beautiful passage. It's a beloved passage. And it's not just the passage for your funeral, because you don't get to hear the passage that's read at your funeral. But I promise you it will be the one you told us to read. I'm not going to let Grace switch it up on you for any reason. But the reason we need to hear about it in our lives is because this is one of the Bible's favorite ways of describing who we are. We are sheep in need of a shepherd. We are sheep in need of being able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. We see the same thing in the ministry of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 says that when he, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sometimes I'll be asked, maybe you'll be asked, why Lake Forest does things the way that we do? Why do we approach people in the way that we do? Why do we, uh, again, do things the way that we do, take the approach that we take? And the answer is, at least in part, that this verse has profoundly shaped us and our attitude toward people. That when Jesus saw people who were like sheep without a shepherd and they were acting like it, the Bible says he had compassion on them. So that if your life is coming apart at the seams, Jesus has compassion on you. If you struggle to see how God could love you, Jesus has compassion on you. The condition of your life does not lead Jesus to fury, it leads Him to compassion. And this gets us to our passage for the morning. Sometimes when I haven't gotten to the passage for the morning this far into the sermon, people get a little nervous. I can feel you getting a little nervous, but we've made it to the passage for the morning. John chapter 10, which begins this way in verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. So what does this mean? If you were a shepherd in Jesus' day and time, what do you do with the sheep at night? You don't just leave them out in the field. A a robber or a a wolf will come and carry one off. So often what you would do is you might try to find a cave or you might try to find a kind of an enclosed-looking rock structure. You put the sheep in there, and then the shepherd would lay down at the one and only entry to that cave or rock structure. In other words, the shepherd is the gate. Nobody comes in, nobody goes out, 
without going through the shepherd. If you have ever been a camp counselor at a middle school camp, you totally understand this analogy. Where do you sleep? Where do you put your mattress? At the door so that at night nobody goes in, nobody comes out without you knowing it. You are the gate. Verse 9, I am the gate, Jesus says. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Once again, Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the way into God's family. And once you are in, I will make sure you don't escape right back out the door you came in. Jesus has come that you and I might find life and have life, have it to the full, not just like a little leaky faucet of life, but a gushing fountain of life. As we see God's faithfulness, as we experience God's joy, as we are assured of God's love, as we come to mirror God's generosity, as we go, grow closer to God in community, life to the full, we are invited to live life abundantly as we grow closer to God. Jesus, as our gate and good shepherd, offers protection. That's what I hear. When I hear Jesus say, I am the gate, it is his offer of protection. It echoes Psalm 23, which says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff are a comfort to me. Jesus is saying that he will be our comfort. He will be the protection of his followers. He will be the protector of God's children. Now, does this mean if you follow Jesus, nothing bad is going to happen to you? Just try that theory out for a couple minutes. See how it goes. So that's not what's being said here. But in Jesus' flock, being in Jesus' flock under the care of the good shepherd does mean that you and I don't have to live in fear. It does mean that you and I are not ultimately vulnerable. We're protected from being stolen. Uh, We're also protected from ourselves, from wandering away out of our own stubbornness or wandering away out of our own struggles. Jesus is the gate. He's the doorway into God's family, and He ensures that no matter how far you and I roam, we're not going to wander right out that same door. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. So the simple statement is made, I am the good shepherd. If you and I were there when Jesus first said that statement, what might your response be? Well, wait a minute. I thought the Lord was my shepherd. Because you and I, we're the original listeners. We've been steeped in the Old Testament. We may even have memorized Psalm 23. And then Jesus says this little simple statement, I am the good shepherd. Well, I thought the Lord was my shepherd. Wait a minute. Are you saying that you're the Lord? You're the God of all creation? Do you see against the backdrop of the, New T- of the Old Testament how provocative that little simple statement is? I am the good shepherd. 
Do you hear how hopeful that little statement is? I am the good shepherd, that the God of all creation, the Lord, the good shepherd, the one who is our comfort as we walk even through the darkest of valleys, that God is not distant. In fact, and this is the good news of Christmas, God came near. God is not distant. That Jesus, fully God and fully human, was born like every baby ever, and yet He is like no baby ever, because He is God and humanity tied together, inseparable but not jumbled, welcomed by shepherds. He is the good shepherd. He is the one that all of human history has been waiting for. The capital A author of the story entered the story to make sure that it was a redemptive story. And to make sure that you and I can know, can know, can know the character of our Creator. You and I could debate all day long what God, what God is really like, but the point of Jesus, part of the point of Jesus is that you and I can know what our Creator is like by looking to Jesus. And we can know that our Creator's arms are wide open to receive us back, even though we, like sheep, have gone astray, leaving God's path to follow our own. Jesus says the difference between a shepherd and a hired hand will be obvious when things are hard. When a wolf shows up, the hired hand is going to say, man, they don't pay me enough for this, and run off and hide and update their LinkedIn profile. (laughs) But when the wolf snarls at the shepherd, the shepherd will take up a rod or a staff and snarl back at the wolf, as if to say, over my dead body. Shepherds are not there out of obligation. Shepherds are there out of desire. He's not your shepherd out of obligation. He's your shepherd out of desire. Shepherds love the sheep. Shepherds care for the sheep. In the darkest moments, it will become clear who your shepherd is. Verse 14, Jesus repeats again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He keeps saying that. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is saying, look around at the flock that you see. This isn't all that there is. There are other people, other groups. In its immediate context, Jesus is referring, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, he's referring to the fact that there are also Gentiles or non-Jews who are going to be part of God's family, brought into the flock because of Jesus. But there's also the continuing sense of his words, that Jesus is the gate and the gate is not closed, and that there is always room for one more person in God's family. There's room for you in Jesus' flock. There's room for those that you love and care for, those who live near you, work beside you, and those who are clear on the other side of the world. Jesus is the gate. The gate is not closed. So earlier I said Jesus, as the gate and good shepherd, offers protection. I'm going to go back and retroactively make that point number one, number one, number number one, so that now I can make point number two, number two, number, 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 number two. Jesus, as the gate and good shepherd, offers provision. 
So as the gate and good shepherd, he's offering protection, and as the gate and good shepherd, he's offering provision. Protection in this life and into eternity, and provision in this life and into eternity. What kind of provision? Does anyone have a guess what kind of provision? How about rest, relationship, and life? I'm going to show you where I came up with those words that I put in parentheses. Provision of rest. Jesus says his sheep will go in and come out and find pasture. Psalm 23 says the Lord makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. What do you hear there? Rest. When you and I think that we don't need a shepherd or that we're going to be our own shepherd, we put the weight of the world on our shoulders and that makes it impossible to rest. And yet when the Lord is our shepherd, when we put ourselves under the care of the good shepherd, we realize there are times when we can rest, in fact, when we need to rest, trusting that our shepherd will provide for and protect us during those times. The world will keep on spinning without our help. Rest. Shepherd, our shepherd provides us with relationship. Psalm 23 begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, a very personal term. Or in this passage, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I know my dog and my dog knows me. Culturally interchangeable. And not just know about, right? Know. That's a relationship. That's what we're being invited into here. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship, a dynamic, a transformative relationship to be known and to know your Creator. Not just know about, but to know and be known by your Creator. The good news of Christmas is that God is not distant. God came looking for you to welcome you home. There's a search and rescue mission, and you and I were the reason it started. And our shepherd wants to give us life. Jesus is very plain about this. I have come that my followers might have life and have it to the full. Or as the 23rd Psalm says, I will dwell in the house. I will live in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Life abundant and everlasting came at a high cost. 1 Peter 2 22 says this, he, Jesus, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed." So as the gate and the good shepherd, Jesus is offering us provision, is offering us provision of rest, of life, of relationship, protection. But this all came at a very high cost because the wolves and the robbers conspired to come after the good shepherd. They said they had the rightful claim to his sheep. And like a sacrificial lamb, Jesus was slaughtered. The gate was torn open, or so it seemed. The forces of evil soon realized, though, that they had crossed the wrong guy. He looked like a gentle lamb, but he was also a mighty shepherd. The frailty of humanity joined to the full power of God. 
Jesus' death and resurrection marked a new day, a new hope, a fresh start. It was the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. It is forgiveness for all those who will bow their knee to Jesus, who will place their lives under Jesus' care. It is abundant and everlasting life with the God of all creation. A relationship with that God made available to you and me in Jesus' name. The crucified and resurrected Jesus, the good shepherd who knows his sheep and his sheep know him, and he lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me and I will lay down my life for the sheep. And when we live our lives under his care, we find protection and provision on earth and into eternity. And thus that passage ends by saying this, for you were like sheep going astray. Does that sound familiar? That's grabbing that Isaiah passage from earlier. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you see this whole sheep and shepherd thing as like a major theme of the Bible? I didn't even have to plug this in a search engine to find these passages. It seems so simple, right? How do we respond to that sort of proactive, unconditional love, the sort of love that is willing to be sacrificial to even die to protect one's sheep? It seems so simple, but many of the most profound things in life are. How do we respond? We, we return to the shepherd. We put our lives under the care of that shepherd We were like sheep who had gone astray. But the point of life, I think, is to begin to put the emphasis on the word were. We were like sheep who had gone astray, but now we have returned to our good shepherd who knows his sheep and his sheep know him, and he lays down his life for the sheep. We are being healed and transformed by his wounds. He came, He found us, He welcomed us home and made us new under His watchful care. There is room for you too in His flock. The question I would like to ask you as I close would be this, what does it mean for you that Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd? What does it mean for you that Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. What does it mean for him to be your gate, your good shepherd? Or if you're here exploring the Christian faith, what could it mean that Jesus can be your gate, can be your good shepherd? So many things this time of year compete for our attention, but we don't want to miss the main thing, the reason we have this in the first place, that Jesus came. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? He came to be our gate and our good shepherd. So if you want to trick your neighbor, uh, when you're going up to him and inviting him to the, you know, the Christmas Eve service or come to you with church in the new year or whatever, but you want to trick them first because that's a good way to always get in good with your neighbors. Point to your inflatable nativity scene and say, how many shepherds do you see in my inflatable nativity scene? And they'll count one, two, three, and they'll say three. 
You know, have you ever seen these where there's like the giant square and then they ask how many squares are in it? And they assume you'll forget the giant obvious one. There is a giant obvious shepherd in every nativity scene that you and I may have missed. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And we can draw a lot of importance of why it was shepherds who first came to worship the baby Jesus, and there's a lot of important reasons to draw from it. I think one I have overlooked is that it's foreshadowing. The good shepherd was welcomed by his peers, by shepherds. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you for those simple words, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. Because so often I and maybe others in the room feel as though that protection and provision, those are my responsibilities first and foremost. And so I hear those simple words repeating in my mind, and I pray you would press them deep into our souls. No, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Lord, in all the hustle and bustle of the season, in all the things that demand our attention, legitimate needs, many of them, I pray we'd be transformed by those simple words. Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Lord, I pray for those of us today who are just coming to this maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. And that last passage summarizes it for us. We were like sheep who had gone astray, but now we have returned to the shepherd of our souls. For those of us who desire to underline and emphasize the were, we were like sheep who had gone astray, but now we have returned to our good shepherd. I pray during these closing songs we would open up our lives and hearts to you. We would invite you to come in. We would declare, maybe for the first time, that we are a sheep of your flock, and we now live under your watchful care. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.